0: So we have been introduced, indoctrinated to seeing sin as very individualistic and psychological. While there are texts, and even in the Romans 5, you have the sense of the sin of man or the sins of man and women, um, but then, and from an individualistic perspective. But I'd like to think of how we're indoctrinated into a world that in some ways causes us to think more about an alternative way that Jesus, God, the Spirit is calling us to that break the powerful, um, powerful of um, oppression and the negative understandings of other people and even of the world and even of a healthy world. Studying the scriptures, it became clear that sins were not only individual issues but even more powerfully systematic macro concerns. Do we walk away from those forces of oppression and violence toward Earth, toward the animals, toward peoples in looking at our environmental uh, discussion? Do we even see that some of the things that are going on in our world are oppressive to the world and other people? Various commentators on these texts discussed how we have interpreted the scriptures through a very psychological or more individualistic perspective. Following last Sunday's sermon, that we are all born with the divine light and with goodness deep inside of us, um, but then how are we indoctrinated to ideas that are unjust, racist, militaristic, and oppressive? For example, in family and church, we were taught the idea that Christians are superior to every other faith. We caught those concepts. We caught the concept that men are superior to women. How do we begin to sense that these ways of operating in our world are sinful? It's an overlay that we get caught into. Do we have that, those insights? Are we courageous? And can we join to the movement of freedom that Jesus and the Spirit offer us? Jesus is, I mean, Paul is preaching to a world where everybody was oppressed, or the majority were, and poor. The liberation and freedom that the people experience happens when they hear a different word, something they'd never imagined before, that Jesus doesn't stigmatize them and keep them caught in the traps that they felt caught in. Whether in religion or in government, especially the Romans and the governors and the soldiers, they understand that they are peasants who just work hard with little future for them. They cannot be teachers, religious leaders, wealthier people, or, um, or have their families succeed in some way. They will never get ahead financially or in any other way. They believe the stigma that's placed against them. Then Jesus tells them they have dignity and they have hope. Paul sees an old law, Adam's law, which keeps them bound to poverty because that's the way the controlling forces in their world are. And then he talks of the law of Christ or law of Jesus Christ with freedom and grace for all. In Romans, Paul sees a world where Adam's need for power and self-control go against God's sense of a garden that produces health and friendship with God and kindness to all that are living, all creatures. As Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit, their actions distance themselves from God. This is the law of Adam. Their actions are not only distancing themselves from God but from other people and from the health of the world. As this way of life emerges, the law of Adam, the world becomes destructive to many people and even to the earth itself as we now know more and more. It creates inequality and oppression and Paul proclaims that there is another way which frees us and frees other people as well. It's not just the about me, it's about a world that I live in. Think of barriers for some of us who are older. 50 years ago, we were taught that Catholics really weren't Christians. And the Catholics were taught that it was dangerous for them to walk inside of a a Protestant church. God only knows what could have happened. Is not this the law of Adam that emerged that was into the control mechanisms of some of our religious leaders? And if we move to the law of Jesus Christ, where we now are ecumenical, and work together in some very profound ways, is that not what we want to do? Perhaps an illustration of individual sin helps. Um, I've always been bothered by the idea that at baptism, our children, our youth, are sinful, and they need to confess their sinfulness. I do it for two reasons. One is I didn't realize I was that sinful at 13. And number, and two, I don't see my children and other people um, being that sinful business. They're in Sunday school, they're in church, they're in youth fellowship. We do all kinds of things. Why is this, how do we do that? So when Marlon Jeske came out with his book, Believers' Baptism for Children in 1983, it, it said why how do we bring our children into church fellowship and, and keep them moving in the direction that they've always moved? How is it that we wanted to force something when in actuality our children need to experience the freedom and the love of going in, coming into the church in a very meaningful and helpful way? Um, Irma fast Duick is now working on some issues like that as well because a lot of people a lot of youth and young adults are not coming into baptism and into the church when i work with men and women who struggle with addiction it is easy to see how they need to be removed from a lifestyle of addiction and negative spirituality to an orientation of sobriety and recovery and openness to their family and to friends and to people the 12 steps help them to begin to find their own values and live out something more holistic and become friends of other people at a positive way. Paul is making a strong argument. He indicates that we are born into a world which has fostered many negative forces, ecological ruin, struggle for status and power, and injustice. Black and female and physically or mentally challenged or other groups accept their own inferior status as a result of this law of Adam and feel less capable than others. They, um, but they now need to understand the freedom and the grace and the openness to them, as was illustrated by Kristen in some of her comments at the beginning. The divine light in them is not, is not to be diminished by the social and economic systems that are around us. So are we a part of this law of Jesus Christ in our world, bringing freedom and hope and a sense of dignity to everybody who's here? Recently, several of us went to watch Harriet. The slave owners are sitting on the porch and they feel very comfortable talking to the black people that are down on the, below the porch or a couple steps down. And they have no problem at all understanding that they are superior. And they have no problem at all understanding that these people should serve them because they're better than. And I'm thinking so, if we're all born with this dignity and hope and divine light in our world, how did all of a sudden we get this separation? And as one of the, um, as Harriet's um, husband, because Harriet's husband and her father have been freed. So some people don't have to accept this law of Adam that encompassed slavery. They bring a document that says, Harriet should also be freed, and the white uh, family up top tears it up. I also recently read the biography of Ulysses S. Grant, who was president of the United States as well as a Civil War general. And he worked very, very hard to change the attitudes down in the South, Southern United States. And it was horrible because the Ku Klux Klan and other groups emerged to keep this law of Adam, keep it functioning, and keep there be a difference between who was white, who was black, who was inferior, and who was superior. Paul sees this breaking of the law of Adam as essential. And he knows that both themes of the law of Jesus Christ and the law of Adam are functioning in our world. The hard question is always can we break free of the traditions in which we were raised and came to us both concretely and also just as a part of the ethos of society um, and open up to a new lifestyle, a new understanding of Christianity. Um, Byron even raised that at the end of our Sunday school by thinking that we all should be vulnerable and share how we're doing financially with one another. That would be the law of Jesus Christ, not the, and the law of Adam would keep us from, keep us private. Observing how Jesus is tested after the fasting in the wilderness, Jesus is asked to test or force God's authority and to gain personal power. It is the struggle of Adam and Eve to obey God or to test the limits, to find that they have control over their universe, and in a sense they break the friendship with God. Jesus does not yield to the hunger, nor does he yield to the need to be powerful and in control of the world like Herod or Caesar or other people around. Think sometimes, as I've worked in social justice, we think if we could be powerful, then we could change it for the way it should be. And Jesus says, no, even if you're powerful, you're in the midst of the law of Adam. You need to work with people in a different way to bring freedom and to be uh, sided with God in a more um, vulnerable kind of way. We are tested like Jesus to face the realities of injustice in our world. Will we accept the injustice around us? Do we do our best to open up doors of justice and equality and peace and kindness, of, con- of care for one another, generosity? Paul knows we will fail. And then he states, which is very important, that grace is there and grace abounds, that we're not being uh, pushed down because of mistakes that we've made if we have the right attitude and are going in the right way. The law of Adam is profound, is what Paul would say. And it, But it takes more strength and character and power in internal power and community power to go with the law of Jesus Christ than to go with the flow in our society. When we consider the power of Adam's way, we often become overwhelmed. What do we see when we live in this broken world? Can we see what's going on in the broken world? And can we actually see the pain of others around us? Deep inside ourselves, as people who've accepted Jesus and Christianity as our guide and salvation, we need to believe that this world of brokenness and pain is not how it all ends. God is working to transform the world and all peoples. Therefore, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. In the Psalms, there are passages like, O oh God, in you I trust. Do not let me be put to shame. We need that force, that help, to see and to get through the mistakes and, um, that we live in. When MCC asked some of us to work on accessible housing and we learned of the other constraints that people with physical challenges had. Did we just work at accessible housing or what we did in the midst of the freedom that we were offered, we formed what's called the Independent Living Center, which now you have curb cuts all over, the, you have lifts, you have all kinds of things where not only people who are physically challenged can survive, but also people who are women with strollers or people who are catering or all kinds of other people have even more health supports in their own homes. During World War II, many conscientious objectors served in mental health wards and institutions. They saw the destruction of human life and they saw that was the law of Adam. And then they came and we have many Mennonite institutions which are way ahead of other groups as these men became psychiatrists and social workers and nurses, psychiatric nurses, and opened up the doors to a different kind of treatment for people with mental health issues. Today we celebrate women's equality which is not yet a reality. Can we be part of the law of Jesus Christ in terms of understanding better relationships between men and women and equality of power? These last two weeks have been difficult for me as I saw Jean Vanier struggle with the whole issue of sexual abuse, which is wrong, which is human fragility, it's power, it's manipulation, it's bad. There's no excuse for it. Yet he was a man of high integrity. And he was also um, the one who stood against the world in terms of the treatment of developmental disability. Because of Jean Vanier, unbelievable numbers of people no longer are in institutions but are out in the community. And we've learned how to care, not only for developmental challenges, but we've learned that the light of God, the divine light, is embedded in each one of them, and they have something to give us. So I struggle in this complex world, and I don't have an answer just in case you do, how here is Jean Vanier, on the one hand, brought in the the law of Jesus Christ, by opening us to all kinds of people who previously were demeaned and stigmatized and whose dignity was denied. And yet he also was a person who um, was very sinful. Um, And my question is, um, are we going, thankfully um, L'Arche is not going to be put down because of what Jean Vanier did, but how are we thinking about this and how do we begin to understand the law of Jesus and yet there's some human fallibility and struggle, and what he did to women should never be um, erased. Brueggemann, in his Genesis commentary, says that our mistake is to produce, um, to pursue autonomous freedom, which is the law of Adam. Instead, we must embrace reason and also live with the pathos of life, where others, um, where with others. We can begin to see and live out this law of Jesus Christ. We can't do it alone, is what Brueggemann says. Knowing that there is grace, we can move toward removing the injustice that causes much of the pathos in our lives and in the lives of others. Can we do this as a church, since we need to walk with each other to explore the law of Jesus Christ? can we do it in finance we do it with refugee support you know can we do it in other ways in our community here many of us have been innovators in different ways in the in the community to change the way things happened can we continue to walk with each other so that social innovation continues to change and there's more health and justice and goodness in our community where else do we need to be challenged um, be challenging the law of adam and be the prophets and advocates and faithful Christians walking together into the law of Jesus Christ, our hope and our salvation. Shall we be quiet together? Gracious spirit, you created our world as a good and healthy place. And we struggle with the injustice and oppression which is our world. We know the law of Christ brings freedom for ourselves and others, yet we see it as a difficult task, a difficult path. We're not always sure we see what we need to see. Help us to find the way ahead, which lets the divine light shine in each person. May we work for your kingdom so that all who may find health and live meaningfully For we follow your Son, Jesus, who has shown us the way and opened up your grace. In Christ's name we pray.